Seldom do I ever really dread preaching. I, I actually look forward to it. I am excited when we have the opportunity to come to God's Word and look into it. This morning, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm dreading it. I, I have, well, did you read Jeremiah this week? It's not one of those uplifting, make-you-feel-good books of the Bible. And it's, it almost makes one discouraged when you read the message of, of Jeremiah. Let me read, just for beginning, uh, from chapter 7. Listen to what God says here to Jeremiah. Yet, they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil than their fathers. Listen to these next words. Yet, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen. I tell you what, if, if God said, Jed, I want you to preach this Sunday, you're going to speak these words, but no one will listen. That would be tough. He goes on. But they will not listen to you, and you shall call to them, but they will not answer you. That's kind of a summary right there of, of the book. My, my prayer this morning as we engage in this, it's a powerful book, it's a necessary book, and it's in God's Word, but as we reflect on this, my, my prayer has been that we will have reflective hearts, that we will look inward. My, my prayer is that we will be able to hear what God is saying to us. So easy, it's, uh, it's so easy. It is so easy to come to a book like this and look left or right or maybe behind us or ahead to someone else or let our mind drift off to someone we know. My prayer is that we have eyes to look at our own hearts as, as we consider the message in, in Jeremiah and, and be willing to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Judah finds itself in a very similar state as, as we find ourselves today. The nation, the community, we can even find it in our churches, is, is full of apostasy. I, idolatry runs rampant. The, the moral decline is spiraling out of control. We see the nation almost reverting back to the times of the judges where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. 
and they're comfortable there. They're comfortable feeling that way. They're comfortable in their lifestyle, and no longer does it really even bother them that they live this kind of a life. It is now the norm. We look around our nation, we see a nation in moral decline. You can pull up any headline as we go through, and we see that we're in the same spot. Real easily, we can come to Jeremiah and have a smug attitude about it. But truth be told, we are just as steeped in idolatry as this nation was here. And Jeremiah is sent to Judah to give a very unpopular message. Jeremiah is called to give the, truth be told, heartbreaking, unpopular message of judgment is coming. The warnings have already been come. The prophets have already come and warned them. Now judgment is coming. How would you like to be Jeremiah? And he's addressing this issue of idolatry which has taken the nation away from God. Idolatry. Dealing with, with our gods. Webster defines idolatry this way. I appreciate Webster. By the way, just a, a, a fun fact about Webster. He memorized the entire scriptures. He could quote it chapter and verse. Did you know that? Fascinating. He had a mind like none other. He, he developed the dictionary so we would understand the words in scripture and have a deeper understanding of our great God. But he defines idolatry this way, the worship of a physical object as God. And we think about that, and we're like, well, that's kind of stupid. He also describes it as the immoderate attachment or devotion to something. I think, honestly, that's more where we find idolatry in our nation in our day today. We're not going around maybe carving out a piece of wood and going, oh, you know, and worshiping it. But the immoderate attachment and devotion to something. Israel, Judah, was plagued with those who had once followed the Creator God. The one who spoke all these things into existence and they looked to him at one point but they shift their focus from the creator to something that has been created. And they now give their heart and soul and passion and everything else to that thing. What a tragedy to go from worshiping the creator to the created. But we find ourselves in that very same spot. In Exodus, God would warn the people of this. Look with me at Exodus chapter 19. 
It says this, Now then, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples from all the earth. Think about that. God was extending a relationship with them and, and saying, you will be mine. Of all the people, and listen, he goes on and says this. Among all the peoples from all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. A nation of priests. A nation that, that draws others into a relationship with God. That was God's intention in his relationship with Israel. You look, turn the page over to chapter 20 and look at what it says. God is giving them his law, the Ten Commandments. And in verse 2 it says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Law number one, I'm it, no one else. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He is jealous for our affection, jealous for our worship. He will not share it. But this nation Israel has gone and they have placed themselves in a, in a way that they are worshiping His creation. They have steeped themselves in idolatry. They've gone to worshiping these puny, pathetic gods that make them feel something. You're like, wow, that's weird. Who would do that? You know, we, we are steeped in, in idol worship in our own nation. We just don't, you know carve them like, like we used to. But I guarantee that you could go to my home and find those things that I have struggled with as, as places of idols, right? The things that I will devote time, money, myself to over my relationship with God. We can look at our bank statements and discover where our true passion and worship is, right? Often our God comes on something like this because we are more inclined to spend our time, give our attention and affection to this. I'm, think, I'm talking about the TV here, okay? We, we, we do that. We look at others' lives on that. And, and when we think of idolatry, it's not just something carved of wood anymore, covered in gold. It is, it is who 
you serve. What is it or who is it that you serve? Joshua would warn the people as they would go into the land, beware of the gods that are there and make a choice of who you will serve. Not if you're going to serve. We all serve something or someone. But who is it? Where is your affection given? Where is your time and effort and in funds invested in? Does it reflect your relationship with God Almighty? Or does it reflect the gods that bring joy and pleasure to yourself? It's interesting, in America, we have, we have been really good at pushing out some of those other gods that we might think of. We even like to call ourselves a Christian nation. One nation under God. So we have taken that, we have pushed out all those other gods, we think, right? They're coming in in waves, by the way. But we have taken idol and we have emphasized the I. The greatest God that we worship, the greatest idolatry that we have in our nation is I, me. And it's, it's not foreign even in the church. We take God off the throne and put ourselves there. We have bought into the mindset of, of self-worship, self-idolizing. Just watch any commercial and see if it appeals to you, the self, I, or to someone else, to God. We, we look and we see that we are told to self-help, right? Oh my goodness, you can go to the bookstore and find all sorts of books on self-help. Why? Because it's all about you. We're taught to be self-aware, self-motivated. Take care of yourself. Watch out for number one. And I'm not preaching this morning saying that you shouldn't care for yourself or take care of yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But we have elevated self to a place of worship. And it has now become the greatest idolatry in our nation under the guise of just, well, you need this. You've been told to be self-confident. My goodness, I know myself. If I'm the only one I can be confident in, I'm doomed. But then, we look to Scripture. We look to this God that we see in Jeremiah throughout the pages of Scripture and we find a God that is more powerful than I will ever be, than you will ever be. We find a God who is capable. We find a God that I don't need to be self-aware. I know who I am. I know what I am. I need to be aware of who He is. I need to be aware of what He has done. His love, His grace. I don't need to be self-motivated. I need to be motivated by what His Word says. I need to be motivated by who He is. 
I'm self-motivated, we're doomed. And hear what I'm saying, church. I, I'm, I'm warning on the level of idolatry where we elevate ourselves to the place of sitting on the throne. And if God's word lines up with our ideas, then okay, we'll listen to it. Otherwise, no. And we have failed to allow his word to have supreme authority in our life. Why? Because, well, his word is uncomfortable sometimes. And the message this morning is uncomfortable. We come to Jeremiah and he is dealing with these idols. He's dealing with the idolatry in his nation. And God has given him the message, time's up. Judgment is coming. Jeremiah... Jeremiah is one that has been consecrated to God from a very young age. It says that God called him even from his mother's womb. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 1. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Allow that God to, to just settle in your mind for just a moment. A God who knows you completely even before you were formed in the mother's womb. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Many believe that Jeremiah was called late teens, early 20s. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. What a bold statement. Look at verse 17. What would you do if God told you this, by the way? I love this. Now, gird up your loins and arise. Has God ever told you to gird up your loins? Told it to Job, too. Arise. And speak to them all I have commanded to you. Do not... Be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now, behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, a pillar of iron, and as walls of bronze against the whole land. To the kings of Judah, to the princes, to its priests, to the people of the land, they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you. To deliver you, declares the Lord. What a message. Jeremiah, you are young. But I'm going to use you. Young people, I want you to hear this today. I want all eyes right now, young people. I mean, even middle schoolers and third graders and all. Look up here for just a second. I love that they're taking notes. Some of them share their notes with me. It's awesome. But right now, I want you looking up here. Mark my words. God is a God who uses 
all ages. And do not think that because you are young, God can't or won't use you. It is our young people that have passion. It is our young people that have energy. I lack that more and more each day. It's weird. Folks used to say that to me. I'm like, I don't get it. That was because I was young. Grr. Okay? God will use you. He wants to use you. And God has used throughout his word young people to turn the world upside down. He has used our young people for his glory, his message, his work. And church, we need to get behind them. Because God does and will use them. I'm stepping off my soapbox now. Back to the message. Jeremiah would minister in, in the land of Judah in Jerusalem for 40 years. 40 years God would call him to this ministry. Jeremiah is, is noted as the most persecuted prophet of the Old Testament. You read through and you see that he was put in the stocks. He had beatings. He was thrown into a cistern. Humiliation after humiliation. Jeremiah even has to flee to Egypt at the end of his life. He is a prophet who's persecuted. Jeremiah is told never to marry as a vivid picture of the ministry that God is calling him to. He is told you will not go to celebrations and celebrate and enjoy the feast. You will not go to a funeral and mourn the dead. This is the ministry of Jeremiah. He's even told. Think about this. This is the message of Jeremiah. He is even told in chapter 7, you will not pray for the people. The only prophet ever told not to pray for his nation. God's like, hammer's coming down. It's over. It's too late. Don't even pray for them, Jeremiah. You're like, really? That's in there? Yeah, this is why it's been a discouraging week. He's the only prophet to record the eyewitness of the fall and destruction of, of Jerusalem. And he records that in, in chapter 39. Jeremiah contains the Bible's most extensive recordings and mentions of, of the Babylonian captivity. Over 164 times he mentions it, more than any other book in the Bible. But Jeremiah's message was needed. The people needed to hear this. Here's why. Church, regardless of whatever idol we put in our life, whatever idol we try to set on the throne, God remains God, even when he's not worshipped. God remains God even when he's not worshipped. He has divine control over all things, over all his creation. And his plan will succeed. And it is this God that judges sin. 
That's the message Jeremiah is taking. Numerous illustrations are given through the, the book of Jeremiah, and I struggled to really decide on which one to land on. I, I decided on chapter 18. Listen to what Jeremiah says. The words won't be up there. I want you to think of this picture. Chapter 18, verse 1. The word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. God is going to give a vivid picture, and he's going to declare his word. Listen. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. What a picture. I've never had the opportunity of doing anything on, on, a, on a wheel, but I've worked with pottery, and I have screwed up many pottery things. And I've had to take that lump of clay and, and mash it back down and, and rework it and try to make it into a beautiful bowl that really didn't hold much. But I learned something, as, as did Jeremiah here, as he's watching, he's expressing, while the clay is wet, it's still moldable. All the prophets that had come prior to Jeremiah, the clay still had a little bit of moisture, it could be molded, but all of a sudden, in Jeremiah's time, the clay is no longer moldable. We find a nation that is dry, it is marred and cracked. And good for nothing else but to be thrown on the garbage heap. That's a picture, isn't it? God says, this is where you've come to. As you read the book of Jeremiah, there's, there's a sad transition that, that occurs as you read the book in the very beginning, we see that reformation is happening. King Josiah is on the throne, and it looks like they're getting rid of all the idols. They're doing things externally. Oh, and King Josiah, what a king. But the hearts of the people. We see the hearts of the people because in under 40 years, we see them turn away from God, regress all the way to being steeped in idolatry. In captivity. At the very beginning, Assyria is in power. And God used Assyria for, for Israel. But it's interesting, Babylon, Babylon will be his tool for Judah. 
Babylon at the end of the book is the one in power, the one that takes Judah away. The very beginning we see the Jews living in the land that God had given them. The covenant all the way back to Exodus. You will be my people. You will be a kingdom of priests. And we see that in the beginning, but as we close the book, the Jews are no longer there. The land is desolate and they've been deported into captivity. At the beginning, we see that Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. He's preaching the message there. By the end of the book, he's fleeing for his life in Egypt. It's interesting. Crowds. We base so much on crowds, don't we? And popularity. We have election stuff already starting. It's crazy. Let me just remind you for the election stuff. God sits on the throne regardless. So let's keep focused on him through all of that, okay? But... In the very beginning, Jeremiah, as he, he delivers his message, is, is addressing the masses. By the very end of the book, there's, there's only a remnant that's, that's listening. We'll get to look at a couple of those remnants like Ezekiel and Daniel. There were those who were still, still worshiping God. There was a remnant. God always preserves a remnant. At the very beginning, David, the throne of David is, is occupied. There is a king on it. By the very end of the book, the throne is empty and desolate. It's not really a linear, linear book. Kind of hops around looking at just the depravity and the, the, the spiral downward of the morality of the people. But as we look at the overview of this book, we see that God's message is clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. I am a jealous God, he says. I will not permit you to worship idols. We see in, in the chapters 2 through 24, kind of 45, but really at, at 24 is where it cuts off with Judah. But it, we're looking at the idolatry of the people. The Jews are still in the land. And in chapter 25, they begin that process, the, the nations coming in. We, we hear over and over the deaf ears of the people. What a tragedy. It's interesting, it's, it's in that first part of the book that the imagery of their hardened hearts. Those that say that God's interested in the heart in the New Testament, but the law in the Old Testament, don't read the Old Testament. God was concerned with their heart and he saw their hardened hearts. It's here that he gives the, the imagery of adultery, of having an affair with God and the hurt that is there. The agony that it brings God. 
It says, you don't even care or know how to blush. You do these things and you're not even blushing about it. The other nations, if they did that to their God, they would at least blush. But not you. So comfortable in their idolatry. Chapters 25 through 51, we really see that it's too late. The consequences are there. Here's the thing. God gives you and I a choice. But you and I, regardless of what choice we make, have to understand that that choice brings consequences. Good or bad, our choices bring consequences. They had grown to a place of contempt for the very word of God. As Jeremiah would deliver it time and time again, they ignored it. As Jeremiah would write down on the scroll the very words of God, the king would take it and throw it in the fire. That's what I think of it. That's what the people thought of it, right? Contempt. You're like, we would never do that. No, we just come on church on Sunday, we read it, we go, wow, and then we do this, and then we set it on the couch or on a table, and that's where it stays for the week. And in our own hearts, we have grown in a contempt for the very Word of God. It is not a part of our lives. It is not a part of our beating heart. Sorry, I'm getting caught up. They're led into captivity. You know what's interesting? How many of you ever heard that the God of the Old Testament is an angry God? You ever heard that? Well, you know what? He has a right to be angry, first of all. But, but, but we have Jeremiah chapter 29. Chapter 29, when you read chapter 29, all of a sudden you see that God says, you will be punished. Judgment is coming. And you will be there for 70 years. Huh. That's like saying to my kid, you have time out. You're going to go stand in the corner for 10 minutes. They knew how long this would be. And, and God even said, while you're there, keep living. All hope is not lost. Yes, you are being disciplined. Yes, judgment is coming. But I want you to live. I want you to build homes. I want you to marry, have children, plan to stay a little while, but you're going to be leaving. Don't dwindle away. Jeremiah 20, 29, 10. Look at this. Look what God says. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. 
You're like, oh, that's where that verse comes from. Yeah, he's talking to Israel. The ones that are going to go into captivity. And he says, I still have a plan for you. So do these things. Continue to live. Continue to understand that I am working. And more importantly, I'm working in you. I am working to make you my people. Scripture says he disciplines those he loves. God still loved his people. And then we come to to chapter 52. Chapter 52 was, was not written by Jeremiah. It was most likely written by, by someone else that, that gathered the things of, of the, the writings of kings. But the chapter was added to show that Jeremiah's words of judgment had been fulfilled. Jehoiakim's release foreshadowed God's promise of restoration and blessing. What a wonderful thing to, to have chapter 52 in there. But for those that would read it, in Jeremiah's day, it was too late. That's a hard message, isn't it? Too late. There is a point in which it is too late. God will always deal with sin. God dealt with sin once for all at Calvary. When his son bled and died for your sin and my sin. And he dealt with sin. Sin is serious. And he offers that relationship as a gift. It's a choice. God has graciously given you and I this life to make that choice, but there comes a time when it is too late. I've shared this before. There was a girl in my, my high school drama class. I shared with her because we had extra time in class, and um, she said something that sparked the conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I shared it with her, and she looked at me. I will never forget this. She said, Jed... That's all well and fine, but you know what? That's not for me right now. I'm too young. I'll consider that later when I'm older. The very next day, I was going to work. She happened to be in front of me. I have no clue what happened, but for whatever reason, her car veered off the road, hit a tree, and she died instantly. I have no clue what happened between the time of the conversation that we had and that death. I can only assume that she died in that state. There is a point in which it's too late. And at that point of death, it's too late. Do not put off today. Do not put off what God is calling and saying, repent, repent, repent. His son died for sin. 
God judges sin. He deals with sin. And as He gave the nation a choice, He gives you and I a choice as well. And we will be responsible for the consequences of that choice. But God. I love that God stepped in. I love that God gave us his son. I love that even when we come to Jeremiah and we're trying to find what do we discover about this God? God hates sin. That's what we discover. God hates sin. But God will keep a remnant. God will preserve. God will come through. I love that as we look at Jehoiakim, we see that God places a curse on Jehoiakim. He says, you will never have an heir that will sit on the throne. He was from the line of David. And we read in Matthew that from Jehoiakim's line comes Joseph the stepfather of Jesus, not the father. But we're also given the line of another son of David in the Gospel of Luke, and we follow him, and guess who's in his line? Mary. Do you realize that God can stay true to his word, deal with sin, and still extend hope to you and I. I opened up with the verses speaking how the people's ears, they would not listen. They would not heed the message. I want to close with these words of Scripture found in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. See, when we come to a book like Jeremiah, we need to recognize who God is. We need to understand the devastation of sin. And I would encourage each of us to take time to be still before God. And in that stillness, know that He is God. Let's pray. God, Jeremiah's been a tough book. God, as we look at this, we look at your judgment on sin, the consequences, the ugliness. And God, we, we look at this book and we see our own hearts. God, the book of Jeremiah is a horrible mirror that, that reveals just our own 
desire to turn to, to idolatry to set you aside. Oh God, may that not be. May we rather look at this book and recognize that you are God regardless of worship. You sit on the throne and have never left it. That God, we are your creation and you are worthy of all honor, all glory, all worship. In our hearts, God, may we put you in the right place. And I pray that as Monday comes, as it always does, God, knowing that truth would change how we live for you. God, I thank you for the grace that you have always shown, the mercy that you continue to extend. God, thank you for the time that you give us to make the choice. Lord, I pray this morning if there's any here who have not made the decision to place their faith in the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ, God, his death, burial, and resurrection. I pray that today would be that day. God, that they would not wait until it's too late. So Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.